Episode number 347 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos, and in this week's show, Korean Air are playing with some Lego. We take a look at an airline that doesn't fly passengers or freight and only flies one way. And an Airbus A320 gets a new paint job made of live bees. In the military, the USAF has released the findings of an F-16 crash in South Carolina. The British Army gets some new kit, and Scotland's Loch Ness Monster fails to claim a PDY Catalina as its victim. But joining me this week, as always, in the PTUK Master Suite Studios, being absolutely awesome, as always, is the legendary man that is Matt Smith. I'll I'll turn my mic on, shall I? Hello, everyone. Yes, good good (laughs) evening. (laughs) Do love a last-minute scrabble, don't you? Good game, though. Yeah, I love, I love Scrabble. I haven't played yeah. Scrabble for years. How how can you be? How can you enjoy Scrabble? You can't spell. Oh no, I can spell, but right. just not the words that we can say on this show without getting a. Um, oh, okay, lovely. Yeah. No, anyway, no got PG rating. Yeah. Anyway, I'm more of a, I'm more of a Monopoly man myself. <laughs> so I've heard. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> anyway, how is? Mr. Smith this week. Yes, yes, all good, thank you. Yes, yes, everything's uh, up and running last minute. We got we had a weird noise in the studio that we couldn't get rid of, but we've got rid of it now, so it's all good, yes. Uh, oh, you've, you've, <laughs> you've, pushed, you've pushed Alfie out of the studio. Then. That's it, yeah, yeah, we've banished him to the garden outside. He lives in a kennel outside now, yeah. <laughs> well, good to have you on, as always, in the studio, Matt. Well done. And joining us this week, as always, is the man who puts the B in BA. It is, of course... Neville Bands. Well, if I turn my mic up, that will work as well, won't it? Uh, yes, well, hello, good evening, everybody. As you can see, I've been messing with the new uh, video filters in Zoom uh, this week, which oh, has been no, very no. exciting. <laughs> and obviously, we need to be in a COVID safe area, so we need to do that as, as well, just to make sure things are uh, nice be- and safe. I'm particularly well. enjoying the eyebrows, Neff. Yes, they are good, aren't they? And if I had some glasses to that, as well, uh, particularly f- funky, isn't it? I, I would have thought. But, uh, I don't know what to do with that information. Yeah. No, the trouble is every time they there's a function in Zoom as well, which is apply to all future meetings. And of course, I use Zoom for not, not only this uh, fantastic podcast, but also for work as well. And of course, it's very easy to forget uh, that you've got that uh, left on as well. But uh, no. <laughs> All well, thank you very much. Oh, Nev. Oh, I hope they don't inter- introduce any more other random ones. In I think the they future. will. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, 
Moving swiftly on. Uh, joining us all the way from the US is, of course, well, it's our, our resident military expert is, of course, Armando. Welcome. I just wanted to follow suit and uh, <laughs> keep my microphone muted. <laughs> Hi, guys. It's good to hear, uh, be here in person. Yes. Uh, uh, spot the deliberate mistake there where we didn't get an opportunity to do a sound check with Armando. Uh, Armando, could you just sort of turn your gain down a little bit? You're, uh, you're, you're over-modulating, I think, is the correct term, is it, Nev? That is. Oh. That is. <laughs> I, I will speak softly while I do that. Okay, good. Well lovely. Done. As you were. Yeah. <laughs> How, how yeah, things? Right. Pre uh, pretend that didn't happen and move on. Yeah. <laughs> how's things been with uh, how's things been with you uh, on Monday this week? Busy flying everywhere. Uh, not a lot of flying, except for one notable exception, which is <gasps> I I got to train. Not train. I wouldn't even call it training. I got to see Doctor Steph in action. She is not just all talk. She is actually a good pilot, and uh, she did come up to my drop zone and. We flew the 182 together, and I got her checked out in that airplane, and she is an excellent pilot and a skydiver and everything else that is in her introduction on APG. So I can verify it. Have you uh, ticked up, signed a book to say she's passed? Uh, I have no authority to sign anybody's book, <laughs> oh. um, but, I, but I did let the owner of the DZ know she's good to go. So, oh. And I think we had fun doing it too. It's a fun little airfield to fly in and out of the uh, obviously she's got the skydiving stuff down she knows everything about the the mission the, the mission planning the planning of a skydive uh drop but uh but that particular airfield is actually just a little bit challenging it's short it's grass it's sloped it's surrounded by trees and i think we actually have a little bit video um that we can play out now we can play it later it's up to matt when he wants to do that there we go and as I can see from the feed, we're doing it now. So here we go. Here's a, here's a very unofficial checkout in an airplane. Um, unfortunately, Steph actually has seen this for the first time here on the podcast. So it's a world Did you premiere. say this was a 150, Armando? No, this is a, a Cessna 182 H1. A 182. Okay. Yep. So it's a, kind of a standard, your smallest. I, I'm sure you can skydive out of anything. You can jump out of any airplane. But, but uh, this is a, a small for a skydive plane. We put uh, one pilot and then four jumpers in there, whether it's two tandems or four fun jumpers or certified jumpers. But you can see in the video there, I just flew first. And it's kind of a, uh, I, I say, I do, and then you do type thing where I went up and flew first and showed her how to work the door, how to open that door midair, and then how to close it. Um, and then the most challenging part was, again, coming back into that airfield. As you can see from that feed there, it's, uh, you know, we had Ryan on a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about some short airfields surrounded by trees. This is probably right up there with them. This, is, this particular runway we're going into right now is a 2,600-foot runway, of which only about 2,000 feet are usable, surrounded by, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit challenging and it's surrounded by trees um, and it's sloped so you can only take off one direction and land one direction. And then, so I flew a couple patterns, I showed her the airplane and then we did a magical seat swap and uh, Steph got into the pilot seat, into the left seat and she did a fantastic job. Here she is uh, taking off and 
one of the challenges in, in this airfield and this airplane is when you're really, really heavy and it's North Carolina and it's a hot day, you, the airplane does not want to fly and you got some trees at the end of the runway. And the key is don't hit the trees. I know that sounds <laughs> uh, kind of obvious, but the, I think as a pilot, you can get a little bit nervous when the airplane's not climbing and you have those hundred foot trees at the end of the runway. But, you know, I, I had an old air force instructor that used to tell me, Hey, the top third of the trees is soft. So if you need to drag the gear through them, you're, you'll be all right. <laughs> so you, you both got parachutes on, Armando. I'm, I'm guessing you've got say, Is that a comment on Steph's flying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's purely my nerves. I, it's first time I, <laughs> no, actually it's the second time I've flown. Yeah, yeah Steph's, got, Steph's got no audio on, so you can say what you like. Oh, great. In that case, yeah, I was real nervous when she showed up to the airplane. She was a little bit wobbly and no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, because we were, we were going to open the door. Uh, if we're going to open that door, we both needed to have parachutes on in oh, that, in that particular airplane. Right, okay. Um, while yeah. the airplane does have seat belts, it's got restraints. Uh, it's an extra requirement and a safety measure. If you're going to open the door and fly to have a parachute, do you, uh, do, you do a lot of um, do you do a lot? Have you done a lot of jumping yourself, Armando? I've only gone uh, about half a dozen times. Right. Okay. And it was uh, two of them were oh up my at, God. at <laughs> yeah, two of them were actually up at uh, Stewart's uh, place up there in Norfolk. Oh wow! Okay. Out of that caravan, yeah, I took some friends skydiving up there. Cap Captain Cruz says in the chat room that the interior, and I must admit, it looks really pristine interior in that aircraft. It's very um. <laughs> I don't know if uh, I don't know if we're being facetious or not, but we've pretty much stripped anything that doesn't need to be in that airplane out because everything weighs something, and right. uh, including and we're the, the, the yoke for the where the first officer might be. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, perish the Yeah, thought. we took we took that out too. There's a just a tennis ball, and I think Captain Nick was asking how we yes. how we fly from the right seat. Yes, right. Well, you can use your imagination. Yeah, yeah, your teeth, I think, was the answer, if I recall correctly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to answer Stephen Ivey's question is the tennis ball doesn't do anything. It's literally there just to protect the uh, tandem jumper. Or if there's a jumper sitting next to the pilot, they sit with their back to the oh, so they don't, panel. Oh, so they don't snag on it, basically, as they, as they right. come out of the aircraft. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, when you say it like that, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I say, Having having flown this, the 150 and the 172 a number of times, it, it looks just as cozy there <laughs> as it does in the 150. Is, is that a thing? It is, it is cozy. However, you'd be surprised how much room there is in a Cessna 182 when you take all the seats out. And, you know, I used to watch, well, you know, Flying Wild Alaska is a great show and, and uh, the ice pilots and all that stuff. And it's amazing how much stuff you would be able to fit into a 182. It's actually pretty big when you take everything out. Yeah, that's true. Actually, while we're talking about sort of aircraft and all that kind of thing, uh, I notice, uh, Carlos, that we've got a um, uh, we've got a new safety video that's been released. Yes, we have. Uh, for those of you who may have seen, you may not have seen, Air New Zealand have are obviously the the um, aficionados of releasing fantastic safety uh, videos for their flights, and Air New Zealand have released their new latest safety video, and uh, Matt's just playing the video actually now for those of you who are watching the YouTube feed. And for those of you watching, you might notice that, um, obviously, apart from being its usual humorous 
kind of uh, comedy kind of sketch show as such, which New, Ze uh, New Zealand do. The um, I have to say, we've said this on the, sh the production meeting yesterday, that the guy, um, the Air New Zealand uh, um, uh, flight crew uh, chap who's sitting on the left-hand side, has one of the largest grins ever <laughs> um, in history of human beings right i mean this okay. this guy this guy's grin is well it's just enormous it's under your seat but um, <laughs> yeah for those of you uh, for those of you who may not have seen it matt will put the uh, links to that video yes, on the show absolutely well, just in case you haven't seen it but uh, moving on daniel ricardo from uh, formula one <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that is that is quite the green isn't it there we go there we go look we're back actually actually quickly for next week's show if, if if anyone has any thoughts on what they think of the video send them in we'd love to yeah, do. think about absolutely. the uh, think about the video yeah, yeah. But, uh, moving on nev you've got some news about a little just for fun kind of with a prize competition we're running on facebook right now yeah definitely we, we don't have many of the uh, ptuk mugs uh, these days do we so they are uh, quite in demand but um we're going to do a quick um ptuk new year's fill in the blanks competition um so if your chance to win an amazing ptuk mug all you need to do is tell us what matt said so uh have a look at this um it's a um well as you can see it's a gentleman in a high-vis jacket with some gaffer tape or, or speed tape there so um, i'm sure there's uh, the few people have already uh, ha had some ideas about what uh, what matt <laughs> might be saying uh, so uh, funnily enough he's got a few himself uh, well yes yeah. so <laughs> what happened when matt boarded his flight took the window seat and saw this what were his first words uh, so the funniest ones will be chosen by us and we're going to announce uh, on our first New Year's uh, show. Uh, but don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, family show. Uh, family. <laughs> quite, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All, always the way, always the way. <laughs> but Nev, while you're in the hot seat, uh, we've got a special mention and a thank you to some very special people, haven't we? Uh, it's a, for the beginning of the month. Yes, that means it's Patreon time and time for us to thank everyone that has contributed over the last month and via Patreon, that is Nick Codling, Warren Dixon, Luis Jarez, uh, Alan Loveday, Andrew van der Sarg, Alan White, Steve Howland, Tanya Wyman, Megan Carrion, uh, Jacob Darlington-Brown, Nicholas Hewitt, Masher, uh, Owen, uh, Reuben Wells, Graham Haley, Jonathan Warner, Eric Graves, Matt Caton, Jordan Rose, Andrew Wilson, Captain Jeff, Adam Spink, Liz Piper, Jeff Ward, Myler, uh, Evan Shue, Philip Labe, Stuart Backer, Ray Williams and Stephanie Plummer. And on PayPal, it's uh, from Tony S, uh, Jenny in Rome, Richard, Aben, Richard Adams sorry, and Mazuz Karim. Many thanks to one and all because uh, your contributions help us keep the show on the air and we couldn't do it without you. So thank you very much indeed. And don't forget, uh, there is a very special treat for those of you who do contribute through, pay or through Patreon and PayPal. And we've got some details coming up about that at the end of the show. So stay tuned. So a big thanks to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room this evening. All the usual family members in there. We're going to run through the names. Let's have a look. We've got Auntie Liz, obviously keeping a check on us. Captain Cruz, hello to you. We've got uh richard adams hello richard stephen h jacob darlington brown my word what 
no morning all he says oh yeah because it's, it's early in the morning then uh where are we 6 a.m wow uh evan shoe hello uh, another early one for evan shoe blimey alan love day uh dr steph's also in there she's still at work bless her but she's um watching rather than listening to the show uh we've got myla hello to you myla hope you're well dave abbey hello dave our main man, Micah, wielding the blue spanner of death, keeping an eye on everyone in the chat room, making sure you're all good. Stephen Ivey, he's, uh, in, or he was in the car wash watching the show. Hopefully he's uh, finished that now. And uh, Scrum, uh, Scrum, I'm not sure I don't miss you on. Captain Cruz, Mazuz Kareem. Hello to you, Mazuz. Well, hello to you. And scrolling down, make sure I don't miss anyone. DJ Wilf. Hello to you, DJ Wilf. And Jenny in Rome as well. Hello to you, Jenny. And airline pilot guy show Ooh, as never, well. Never heard of him. Who's that? <laughs> Obviously, keeping keeping an eye, making sure we started on time, which we did start on time this week. So, don't forget if you are watching us on YouTube and you don't already do it, make sure you hit the subscribe button and the bell icon, which is right next door to it, to be notified when we are live and recording as we are right now. Because we'd love to have you in the chat room. And if you're listening to the audio podcast and you haven't checked us out on YouTube yet, don't forget to give us a look on YouTube and uh, see what all our lovely faces look like. Well, or, or don't. Or don't. <laughs> so don't want to put you off your breakfast, you know. No, we don't want to do that. But we've got loads to get through on the show this week. And uh, I think we should kick things off. So we are going to start the show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So I know our Mondo's eating his bowl of cereal, but if everyone's ready, <laughs> yes, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> So, kicking off this week's first news story, this one comes to us from simpleflying.com. And uh, I love this story mainly because I love Lego. So, Korean Air uses Lego bricks to explain how the 777 air filters work. So, Korean Air has released a passenger information video with a bit of a twist. In a bid to convince passengers to fly again, the airline has employed everyone's favourite childhood toy to deliver the message. In the video, a team of minifigures workers can be seen sanitising the aircraft, uh, which is a 777. As they go about their chores, they can be seen removing seat covers and spraying disinfectant solutions prior to departure. Most interestingly, the airline uses little, little, little Lego bricks to simulate how the HEPA filters remove the germs and viruses from the cabin air. It says that the Boeing 777 has eight of the filters and even shows a little Lego worker removing and replacing the unit to keep it the air safe and clean. Korean Air followed its first video with a sequel explaining uh, procedures and safety measures at the airport. While sequels are usually poor cousins to the original film, we have to say this one is pretty good. It's not the first time Lego bricks have uh, had a cameo in an airline film. Last year, Turkish Airlines worked with the stars of the Lego movie to drive home its safety message in a hilarious new video. In a recent survey undertaken by Imasat Aviation, South Koreans were shown to be more cautious than other, any other nation when it comes to uh, resuming flying. The passenger confidence tracker found that 35% 
percent of respondents would not take a flight until COVID-19 disappears, a significantly higher number than any of the other 12 countries included in the research. South Koreans are also worried about how virus transmission is on the plane, and 54% said that it, uh, they worry about catching the virus at the airport or on the plane, where um, which is preventing them from traveling right now. A figure only overshadowed by their fears of catching COVID abroad. So what do we think, guys? Obviously, I love Lego. Uh, I'm sure we've all played with Lego <laughs> at some point in our time. Nev, Lego man? Yes, very much so, except when you stand on it inadvertently. <laughs> uh, as we all know, that is the most painful thing. Uh, in fact, even worse than childbirth, I, I would say. Ooh, wow, okay. I was, I was literally going to say exactly that. Any parent probably used to love legos until they had children and now everybody hates legos because of the middle of the night that's true as a, so a fascinating little um little graph here actually which might be worth just sort of trying to sort of uh thumb our, our thumb our way through so sort of south korea is sort of um second sort of second one on the right essentially um at the top there second one from the right sorry in, in, yeah, uh, second in one right, in yeah. as it were um yeah. it's sort of interesting really sort of when would you be confident to take your next flight i mean i don't know perhaps we're the wrong audience to be asking this question to though because essentially you know the very fact that we're doing this is because we are keen in aviation and and all that kind of thing and, and i dare say all of us literally can't wait to get on our next flight to sort of do you know to get going get going and stuff um mm -hmm. so, so i was like so i was um, just trying to look at some of these stats here so uh 20 yeah sort of 22 percent i'm just looking at the the various numbers here uh so 22 percent in the uk is saying within a year um you know um but again that not until covid19 disappears is quite low here actually in the uk at only seven percent and you compare that obviously to uh why the the video exists like with south korea you know with a whopping 30 five percent of people saying like we're not going to do this until it's all over but uh i'll make sure there's a link to the story that's got this um mm. this graph on because it does make genuinely quite interesting reading um and uh, we're sort of more keen to get in the air than i sort of kind of expected really i'm just trying to see who's uh who's second is it uh singapore i think yeah it's just uh, it's singapore and finland uh uh, uh sort of uh, at fourteen percent, which is the nearest one to to South Korea for wanting the COVID nine, you know, happy to fly once COVID nineteen has disappeared. So, you know, there's um, I yeah, I don't know. I sort of, I don't know. I guess I sort of expected some of the the you know, some of the sort of, uh, I don't know. I don't really know where I was going with that, to be honest with you. But oh, Hungary also is at fourteen percent. I was actually I was expecting Australia to be in the kind of never because Australia, if you've ever watched those programs on TV on on Quest or whatever it is, where the Australians don't let any anything or anyone in the country, you know, no, um, the, you know what I mean. The, I forget what the, the, the TV program is called now, but you've probably seen it on them yeah. on the TV on the TV channels. Nothing to declare. Thank you, John. Nothing to declare. Yeah, they they just seem to always no one no one can ever get in the country. <laughs> it's, it's all, you know, COVID or not, you're not coming in. Uh, Captain Cruz in the chat room. Does it say how many total respondents? I don't actually think it did. Did it? Yeah. Very good point, actually. Yeah. The answer is mm. we don't know. I don't think it's certainly not on that graph. Um, no. 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 Okay. All right. Producer John's John going to find out. Yeah. He's John, gonna John's going to look into that for us now. Okay. So Matt, the next story you've got then is uh, it's actually good news for Boeing because. Uh, 
well, Ryanair are doing something exciting. Uh, right, OK, yes. Uh, I don't know if exciting is the correct word, but anyway, uh, the headline on this story is Ryanair buys 75 Boeing Max jets in largest order since the aircraft's grounding. So Ryanair on Thursday ordered 75 Boeing 737 Max jets with a list price of $9 billion, throwing a commercial lifeline to the embattled US plane maker after regulators lifted a 20-month safety ban. Uh, the order from the Irish airline, uh, Europe's l biggest low-cost carrier and one of Boeing's most important customers, is the largest for the jets since 2018 before two fatal crashes led to a 20-month global flight ban. It's certainly the deal of the new Century Ryanair Group Chief Executive Michael O'Leary told Reuters uh, later on. Uh, it's uh, This is a great aircraft. We're proud to buy them. We're proud to fly them and our passengers are going to enjoy flying on these aircraft. The MAX has a list price of $125 million. Ryanair did not disclose the price it will pay but deals typically include uh, discounts in excess of 50% of list prices. Ryanair was expected to win an even bigger discount of well over two-thirds in return for a headline-grabbing relaunch of the MAX that helps fill gaps left by cancellations, sources said. Uh, part of the discount was compensation for the 18-month delay with the first delivery of the Max, O'Leary said. Uh, asked during the signing ceremony about the uh, price concessions, Boeing offered O'Leary joked, uh, not enough. I'm sorry to say it is a very modest discount. Uh, Ryanair also had, already has 135 of the 197-seat Max 200 on order and experts uh, and expects to receive its first jet early next year and the final one by the end of 2024. Ryanair also hopes to agree to another large order of the 737 MAX order over the next 18 months and expects to be flying the 230-seat MAX 10 by 2025, O'Leary told Reuters. Uh, so Ryanair has a record of striking deals uh, to lock in low costs uh, when its bargaining power is highest most famously by placing an order for a hundred new 737s in the wake of the September 11 2001 attacks a deal about which Michael O'Leary famously said I wouldn't even tell my priest what discount I got off Boeing um, ever the charmer Mr O'Leary isn't he there I mean I, I, I don't know what what are we thinking do we think he's I, I personally feel um, that He's not telling the truth there. I think he probably got an absolutely stonking deal. I on, think Richard Adams Max. nails it. Yeah, Richard Adams on. in the chat room says that he reckons that Boeing are doing a buy one, get one free. Thing. Right, OK. I mean, I don't think they'll quite be going to those kind of, uh, those kind of levers. But, uh, yeah, we'll have to see. <laughs> what was that, sorry, uh, uh, Stephen, Stephen Ivey uh, saying in the chat room, Carlos? Uh, Stephen Ivey says that he reckons they paid a dollar each for them. His right, sort. OK. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. So it seems, well, at the end of the like day, it's a business, right? Like, you know, hey, yeah. It, yeah, if he's yeah. in that position, and I, one, it speaks Ryanair, make fun of him or not, is one of the largest and most established 737 operators in the world. So if they have confidence in the max, go for it. And hey, if they can get a great deal on them, it, it's, that's the industry. Perhaps, Matt, with every. Um, Max, they got a substantial meal. 
<laughs> all got what they got they got a cheese and ham panini like with every mm. yeah absolutely it has to be uh, a substantial meal right uh, true okay i mean well, all right a packet of crisps and a panini then yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay yeah so so so, so the so, okay yeah um so, Sorry, I've got a little bit of a glitch here in the studio. Yeah, John says, so, uh, John, our producer says, these are just options there. They're, they're exercising um, with, with other deals that they've okay. got on the table. So, oh, cool. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Nev, moving on to you for the next story. This, uh, this is excellent, excellent, blinking excellent news. I, I think, am personally. delighted with this news. It's on simpleflying.com, and it says that British Airways saves its last two Boeing 747 retrojets. Uh, BA has confirmed that the last of the three retrojets BA, uh, Boeing 747 aircraft will be saved from the scrap heap, including one aircraft in the airline's current Chatham Dockyard uh, livery. A total of four Queen of the Skies have been saved from being torn apart. Uh, BA saddened many aviation fans earlier this year when it announced that it was ending Boeing 747 operations after half a century. However, British Airways is not alone in its actions. Airlines such as Qantas and KLM have also retired the type ahead of its time. And today, Lufthansa is one of the leading 747 operators with its fleet of Dash 8 aircraft. Well, BA confirmed that its BOAC retrojet would be saved from being scrapped. The aircraft will find a new home uh, in the uh, one of the business parks in the Vale of Glamorgan and its new home in Wales. The aircraft will continue to be cared for by aviation enthusiasts. Uh, Golf Bravo Yankee Golf Charlie, the aircraft that wears the BOAC livery, was the first aircraft to get the British Airways retro jet treatment. Indeed, the airline's first 747s were delivered in the livery 50 years ago, uh, albeit with a smaller hump. Uh, with Negus going to Kemble and BOAC going to the Vale of Glamorgan, that leaves the Landor livery. Well, the Landor is currently in Cardiff with BOAC. However, the aircraft Golf Bravo November Lima Yankee will soon fly to Dunsfold in England. Dunsfold will now house three former British Airways Boeing 747s. The airport already had one of its uh, BA Boeing 747-200 used as a set in music videos and bomb films. However, it decided it received its second aircraft earlier this year, which was a 747-400 in the Chatham Dockyard paint scheme. Well, isn't that brilliant? That is uh, very good news. I thought it was all going to go terribly wrong uh, mm. for them, but uh, good that they've saved uh, the retro ones. Very, uh, very pleased to hear that. Are you in the same agreement with me, I think, Nev? You were, you're a Landor fan. Oh, definitely, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That is uh, yeah. by far my favourite one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it epitomises, uh, uh, well, the, the airline's delivery, actually. I, I really enjoy it. Really nice. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, we're going to take a trip to uh, Dunsfold now, then, Nev. Yes, we will. And, uh, of course, that's where all the Top Gear stuff... Uh, oh, went still filmed there now it used to be filmed there the original series certainly were um so uh, yes just not far from uh, uh, guildford in surrey southwest london so uh, yeah that would be uh, that'd be good wouldn't it now lane love... street in the chat room says guess the insurance claim on the one that burned is paying off oh yes <laughs> that slight uh, slight fire they had the other day in uh, spain wasn't it that's right uh, oh was that in so... spain oh I, I, yeah. I thought that was here in the uk no it was being it was being spain, stored yeah. down there um for the time being but 
yes some business went on there um and uh well hopefully <laughs> they've uh, they've got it fixed by now. i was gonna say actually uh, before we move on armando what was your favorite livery out of those retro um liveries that ba used um i you know what i remember seeing and i had this uh, boac model when i was a kid and to me that just always struck i know it wasn't the fanciest of all of them but uh I, I just love, you know, and I thought British Airways was just always the, the epitome of class and, and all their liveries. So it looked way better than some of the ones we had here in the States. Mm. I liked all of them. I guess that's my non-committal answer. <laughs> well, I mean, you're certainly... But I'm an airplane nerd, so what yeah, are you going to do? Yeah. You, you may, uh, as I say, you may have won favour with Neville. So perhaps, perhaps there is hope for this embargo to be lifted. Uh... <laughs> yeah, you know, when, when, when you guys were reading the story last week about the, the crockery sets and we had a, a nice spirited discussion in the car about how we should spend our money because I was all about buying all these British Airways uh, blankets and crockery sets and uh, I would love to have a full set of that in my kitchen, but I, 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 don't, think she, I don't think she agreed. Right. Okay. I mean, it sounds very similar to a conversation, no doubt you and you and Gemma would have had, Carlos, uh, if you yes, wanted I'd, to do something similar. The what the way you do it, Armando, is you you buy the stuff, you get it delivered, you put it in place, and then you wait. Yeah. The difference is between you and me, Carlos, is I'm trying to buy plates, and you're trying to buy an entire airplane. Door. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay. Uh, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than for permission. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Uh, yes, it's, uh... Uh, Richard Adams mentions in the chat. He says, um, "Make sure we get to see the ones at Dunsfold flying before it closes to be built on." Well, I hope they oh, don't yes, build on that. Oh, Dunsfold flying before it closes. Before it closes before, yeah. yeah, before it closes. Perhaps we should do that. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, okay. Armando, <laughs> we'll we'll stay with you, Armando. Let's go on to the next story. And uh, as you've you've actually got two dogs yourself, so. Um, this, uh, this works well for you. I do. I, out of all the aviation podcasts, I don't know, as a combined community, how many stories we've done about emotional support animals. But finally, from NBC News, this story is from NBC News. This was covered uh, all over the news this week. The era of emotional support pigs and peacocks on airplanes <laughs> is about to end after the Transportation Department ruled on Wednesday that dogs are the only animals defined as service animals. That regulation tightens the reins after a year-long battle between airlines and passengers who have requested permission to carry a menagerie of animals on board in the name of emotional support. According to the Transportation Department, the service animal is designed or designed, defined as a dog that is individually trained to do work or perform tasks for the person of benefit or for the for the benefit of a person with a disability. Uh, they go on to say that the department received more than 15,000 comments on the notice of proposed rulemaking. Nobody ever comments on those things. It's usually like five people that comment on any proposed rules. The final rule announced today uh, addresses concerns raised by individuals with disabilities, airlines, flight attendants, airports, other aviation transportation safe, uh, stakeholders, other members of the public regarding such service animals on aircraft. Uh, the emotional support animals are no longer considered service animals, but the ruling still requires airlines to allow dogs that are uh, psychiatric service animals. Kind of goes on. Uh, we've talked about so many different animals. There's peacocks, pigs, turkeys, snakes, 
uh, I think there was a llama at some point. There's a picture of an aardvark on the there it's, uh, yeah. on, on screen right now. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just like uh, I'm just, an I, emotional I, support monkey. Was uh, I saying things on that on there earlier, Matt? Did you put a picture up of a woman holding a kangaroo? I did. Yes, yes, yes. No, you you aren't tripping. Penguins here, which is nice. I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of a penguin. Don't get me wrong. Um, Yes, uh, uh, right. I assume this is a joke picture. Is it? Is this one that? uh, (laughs) No, it's it's a picture of an elephant that that they're trying to squeeze (laughs) into the. uh, I want to say the hold, but no. Uh, There we go. Wow. Okay. Um, Yes. uh, No, you are. You are completely right, Carlos. There was a. uh, I'm just trying to find it now. Where are we? A kangaroo. There you go. I mean, Peacock's pretty bizarre, but who the hell has a support kangaroo? And, and I must say, uh, that that picture is not not a picture of a happy kangaroo, judging by those he eyes. It does look rather yeah, annoying. Yeah, absolutely. And they're yeah. quite they're 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 not exactly the most unaggressive creatures in the world, are they? Uh, but, uh, so 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 if I if I when I fly on holiday next, then yeah, and right. I I, I want to take. So I want to take you with me, Matt, and I want right. you to get on for free. Can I say that you're my emotional support, Matt? Right. Okay. You... What doormat, maybe? I don't. Well, know no, and they have to let you on. They have to let you on. Right. Well, no, not now, because that's the whole point of the story. Is because they yeah. have changed the rules, haven't they? So they've obviously got wise to that. The filthy animals. I think back in 2018, <laughs> I thought it was funny that American Airlines put put out a an animals that they banned and included amphibians, ferrets, goats, hedgehogs, spiders, sugar gliders, which I had to Google, waterfowl, <laughs> anim- specifically animals with tusks, horns, or hooves. Um, although, as Micah mentioned in the chat room, uh, miniature horses were still allowed as properly trained service animals. Right. Okay. Yes. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> Stephen Ivey makes a good point in the chat room. Kangaroos are apparently a good dinner. Right. Okay. Yes. I mean, I mean, it's, it's uh, kangaroo is apparently a delicacy. Certainly. Hello. What's amusing you now? Um, oh, Richard Adams says, as long as you wear a collar and a lead, Matt. Oh. Oh, I say. <laughs> I mean. I mean, uh, family show, Matt. Yeah, family, family show. show. I, I don't really family have a lot show. I could say to that. I, I don't know what to. Uh, do you know what? We'll pretend that didn't happen, shall we? Move here. Anyway. Um, apparently, yeah. Apparently, it tastes like ch- tastes like chicken. They say that about everything, don't they? They say like if you eat alligator, it tastes like chicken. I've run out of but, sherry um, now. This yeah. is not good. Dan Brennan is saying kangaroo burgers yum, which is which is probably quite true. Um, I have had kangaroo because we can have it here in a local restaurant, can't we? Yes, we can, Carlos's. kangaroo. Yeah, yeah we over, can. over at the yeah. Black Swan, can't we? Yeah. 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 In fact, I've never done it. Perhaps we should do it. When, when all this nonsense is over, we should go and give it a go. We'll go and try that kangaroo. Actually, yeah. Uh, the, yeah, the Homsville Black Swan has got... Um, welcome, has actually, got welcome to Dan Brennan. Hello to you, Dan. Yeah. He's, uh, he's just said kangaroo burgers are yummy. Yes, exactly. That's what I say. We'll have to go and give it a try. Uh, we'll give it a try. Yeah. Captain Cruz says, with some passengers, you could understand pilots soon need emotional support animals. Uh, right, yes, I see what he did there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Again, he's true. probably right, absolutely. W- would you be allowed us some, an emotional support animal in the cockpit, though? Yeah, that's the first officer. Oh, I see. Right, <gasps> oh. okay. Does he have to wear a collar and a lead as well, or is that just... Is, uh, nah, have, I, have, I, have I once again slept in, slipped into the world of fantasy? Any pilots yeah. who have any issues with the show, send your comments to... I feel <laughs> rather annoyed and to, upset. 
uh, at plaintalkinguk.com forward slash John. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, any, any, <laughs> any complaints, we always say, send them to uh, complaints at airlinepilot.com. That's correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, that's much more like it. Yeah, no, I like the Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> next. Moving on. Do the next one. Oh, two take, yes, exactly. Moving from animals to bags. So for all of our listeners who fly with EasyJet, which is quite a number of us here in Europe, EasyJet, this one comes from ITV.com, and EasyJet are going to be making significant uh, changes to their cabin baggage allowances from next year so beware the new rules which will come into effect on the 10th of february will sit all just in time for valentine's day That's oh lovely <laughs> uh, we'll see passengers charged if their bags do not fit under the seat in front of them uh, the seat a passenger has booked will also determine what bags they can take on board those with an upfront or extra legroom seat can take an additional large cabin bag on board. The new cabin bag size can be a maximum of 45 by 36 by 20 centimeters, including any handles or wheels, and smaller than the controversial flyby measurements, which saw a backlash from passengers. There is no weight limit, however, passengers are expected to be able to lift their bag uh, themselves into the overhead lockers. Uh, the airline says uh, the changes are to improve boarding and punctuality. <laughs> um, EasyJet says. I'm sorry. Sorry, had a cough. Then <laughs> EasyJet <laughs> says if a passenger's cabin bag exceeds the maximum size, or if someone brings a large cabin bag to the gate uh, prior to departure without the correct seat selection, it will not be allowed to go in the cabin and will be checked into the aircraft uh, hold for a charge, which will probably be astronomical. For those travelling on EasyJet before the 10th of February, the existing bag policy will apply. Passengers who booked before the changes were announced have been informed they can drop their larger cabin bags off at the EasyJet plus bag drop for free when they arrive at the airport and collect it from the baggage carousel after the flight. Cabin baggage fees and charges can also be found online on the EasyJet website. And uh, actually there's a few little stats and figures on here uh, that says uh, hold luggage up to 15 kilos. Um, uh, but anyway, anything uh, or oh, anything from uh, 20 up to 23 kilos, I should say. Hold luggage up to 23 kilos, uh, maximum or minimum maximum charges. So the minimum charge will be nine pounds and 49 pence. Or this is checking in online these fees, and the maximum charge is a quite hefty, and you can probably buy a suitcase for this. 42 pounds and 49 pence if you pay for these online. Uh, and if you do these at the airport, so if you get to the airport and want to check these in, you're then going to pay uh, 45, between 45 for the bag drop at the desk and 48 pounds at the boarding gate. So it pays to do things online before you leave. Now, obviously, Nev, you um, never ever and ha uh, haven't flown EasyJet, I don't think, before, have you, Nev? So I have once. Well, you have once? Yes. Yeah, uh, Belf uh, Glasgow to Belfast, I think it was. Did you get there? John is saying, yeah. That, well, <laughs> I used to fly EasyJet quite a lot back in the the days when because um, for, for well, you know, well, yeah, the, there is that. But the, uh, there was a time when um, when they first stopped doing the dairy flights from Stansted. 
because um, that that was the nearest airport to where I was going so we, uh, to where my auntie lives so quite often when we would go to visit we would have to actually go into um, go into to, to Derry was the, the the plan but of course when they closed that route we, we were then having to use so we ended up going into Belfast and of course that was EasyJet and I know um, when we went uh, for I can't remember what the event was that we went there for but uh, at the time EasyJet were one of the few people who were still allowing you at the time to, to travel um, because it was within the UK essentially because um, you didn't require your passport and the EasyJet were one of the few that allowed as long as you had photo ID i.e. a driving license since you could still fly to um, to Belfast, so. Micah in the chat room says, "What if uh, what is it? if EasyJet passenger service has a or if you have a dog, a service dog, that's where you, your service dog goes under the seat in front of you. So uh, if you have a service dog, <laughs> following on from the last story, right? Um, immense difficulty with with this new ruling. I I just don't see it being workable at all." Um, there's already difficulty with people arguing the so-and-so with um, how, you know, the, the size of their bag when you get on the aircraft in the first place, whether you have to put your bag in a um, measuring thing. Um, I, I don't see how this is going to speed things up at all. I just think it will lead mm. to more arguments and actually more aggro for the poor uh, cabin crew as well. Uh, uh, We'll have to see, won't we? Whether mm. it's the check-in staff that have to deal with it or the cabin crew. When, but yeah, I'm. Oh. But you'll always get that one person, Nev, who'll slip through the net with a bag that's the size of a seven four seven. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, ain't that the truth? Ain't that yeah. the truth? And that—that that was the thing that used to really annoy me, is because you quite often get some, the person who was in front of you would have the most monstrous bag, and you'd literally look at it and think, "There's no way that that should be in the overhead locker." Do you know what I mean? It's like it won't even fit, and you're thinking, "So, how did that even get through? You know, get through into the aircraft, let alone being tried to put, you know, in your overhead thing?" Because the trouble is, is then there suddenly isn't there isn't room. For for everyone else's stuff when 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 this happens as well, but um, mm. you know, it's um just out of interest. Nev, what is the baggage policy on oh, for BA? generous and usually at the discretion of the crew as well. Very oh. often, um, uh, you have to have certain types of card. Um, as oh, well. I see. Gold one by any chance? But actually, even on the on the lower grade cards, uh, they're they're pretty generous, and they will say though that, um, uh, that when the flight is particularly full, they will offer to check in things for free for you um, if they feel they can't put everything in. But um, the, the, but still, the some of the stuff that I see people bringing on to BA flights. Uh, very large suitcases. I mean, it should not have got past the gate. I, I just don't know how people think they can get away with that. But yeah, and then of course they can't lift it because it's too heavy to put up in the in the uh, overhead locker anyway. So indeed. So sticking with you, Nev, and uh, this is good news for you, Nev, oh, uh, being a business traveller. This is I. This I'm ticking four out of five of these boxes oh, very easily. Well, let's have a listen and a look. Uh, so it's on the sky.com, uh, the new section of the website. And this came in late last night, actually, which was mm. uh, really interesting. It says, new business traveller exemption from quarantine announced. So no countries have been added or removed from the UK list of travel corridors, but a new business traveller exemption from quarantine has been announced. So from 4 a.m. on Saturday, people in a number of categories will no longer have to self-isolate upon returning to England. 
even if they're in, in a travelling from a country not on the travel corridor list. So this is the list. So there, there's five uh, categories here, and I, I tick almost all of these boxes. High-value business travellers. Tick. Certain performing arts professionals. Well, I, I mean tick, obviously. <laughs> TV production staff. Oh, 100% tick. Journalists. Um, well, well, we'll put a dash next to that one. Then it one's a bit, bit dodgy. Is uh, recently signed elite sports people. Well, I, I'm, do, you, do you know when I saw that sentence, the first thing that came into my mind was you, Nev. I'll be honest. Ah, yes. Yeah. How very nice of you. <laughs> well, uh, Transport Secretary Grant Shapps said the move will allow more travel to support the economy and jobs, and full guidance will be issued soon. I wish the government wouldn't do this, coming out with a bit of a tease without the full story, either announce the whole thing or or don't do it. But I think this sort of partial announcement is not helpful at all. But it does say that the exemptions will be subject to specific criteria being met, including trips that create or preserve at least 50 UK jobs. Oh, so who's going to be the arbiter there then exactly um people will only be exempt when carrying out specific business activity and will only be allowed to meet with others as required by that uh, the department for transport said the department said more information will be released uh, once the new rules have come into effect or how if they've worked it out that's the real story there i think mm. at the moment nearly all people arriving back into the uk from destinations not thought to be at low risk of covid19 have to self-isolate for 14 days from the 15th of december travelers arriving in england will be able to end their quarantine period after five days if they test negative for the virus passengers will have to pay for the tests themselves and will need to book with one of the private providers on the government's list and uh -oh. they will between 65 and 120 pounds. See now, now I, I'm I'm going to perhaps be slightly controversial here, oh. so I apologise if I cause offence by saying this. But I, I, I mean, a large part of me is very excited. Like, yes, this is great. There's, uh, you know. It, because people, as you've said several times, isn't it, Nev? You know, people still need to travel in order to do business. Um, you know, and, and the restrictions that have been in place um, have been less than helpful, shall we say, in regards to, to especially what you do for a living. Um, now, the bit that's worrying me here is this uh, is this sentence here that says passengers will have to pay for the tests themselves and will need to book in with one of the private providers on the government list and uh, uh, the reason why that sits with me really uncomfortably is I'm very nervous that this whole thing is being used as a way of making money for someone yeah I mean it's not just that the the the, the business side of things yeah. but I I think the pr problem is is as I say is these sort of partial announcements and teasers about what might be coming but i i think um try not to be too political here i'll try my best not to be but you know the prime minister has talked about leveling up the country which i completely agree with you know i, I get all of that but here it just flies in the face of all of it because of the i was jo joking obviously about my categories but you know seriously it, it does not really level up anything at all um and why should journos and TV production staff uh, be be ahead of, of everybody else? I, I don't understand that at all. Um, so um, we'll have to see. But I, I think this is going to be 
I don't know, a bit of a short-lived thing, perhaps, uh, because I think trying to make up these rules yeah. uh, in advance of anything without the full story, I, I just think is a really difficult uh, piece of legislation. But we'll have to see uh, what the Shapsmeister comes up with. Well, we? and of course, uh, I mean, obviously, exciting news that was released this week, certainly here in the UK, if you haven't heard it already, obviously, the, the Pfizer um, vaccine has been mm. released as, you know, has been deemed uh, safe for use. And they're sort of, you know, the 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 program is is in place as we speak isn't it where hopefully vaccinations could start as early as next week which is great so i mean maybe i mean obviously that's going to be potentially a huge game changer i mean you know perhaps we won't need these rules that long i guess if we could try and maybe feel a little bit more excited about uh, you know the future <laughs> i will just add that if anybody's ever seen nev go from the private security screening to the ba lounge like that um, that level of speed and skill i i would challenge anyone that says he's not an elite sports person yeah so he checks before, this is before the the lockdown lard mm. as, as i call it the, uh, <laughs> the 14 pounds increase in weight since about march which i think other people have suffered from as well not uh, yes yes me included to be fair yeah 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 me me included <laughs> anyway, moving swiftly on kebabs i mean uh, i beg you bless you um, yeah <laughs> sorry um armando you've got a very interesting story next haven't you well, it's a great segue to the the most ideal airline in the world. This is a global airline that has no passengers, no cargo, and only flies one way. So this this team at uh, Jet Test and Transport runs a global airline. All the airplanes are one-way trips with no passengers or cargo. They are experts in ferry flights, moving air empty aircraft around the world. So in this age of COVID-19, and arguably even before and after, uh, with airlines parking and shedding jets, co-founder Steve Giordano and his pilot partners are some of the busiest guys in the sky. About half of the world's fleet of more than 20,000 commercial aircraft are leased to airlines. Uh, at the end of a multi-year lease, the airline may decide to re-up or return the airplane to the leaser, uh, lesser, leaser, uh, and that's where jet test and transport comes in. Uh, Jet Test began operations in 2006. Uh, they began ferrying air, airplanes a couple of years before that. Uh, but following the procedures of an airline, Jet Test is regulated under a Bermudan Air Operator Certificate and is structured the same way as, an, as a larger air carrier, even has its own identifier call sign for its flights, which are JTN. Uh, this uh, operation functions just like a small airline, but with one big difference in that it doesn't actually own or have any aircraft. It's literally just point A to point B flying for them. And as the name suggests, Giordano and his team perform test flights on airplanes returning to service after maintenance or modification, including planes that started life as passengers, passenger jets and were converted to haul cargo, fight fires or oil spills or anything like that. Uh, basically these airplanes and these, these pilots have, some of them have up to 10 type ratings uh, 10, 11 type ratings. Most of the full-time contract and part-time pilots have at least five. Uh, they stay qualified across the board on everything, explains the owner, Giordano. He says he flies a lot and plans can change minute by minute. He told a, GN, a CNN travel that uh, over the six days in November, he planned to cover more than 31,000 air miles uh, with about half the distance as, passengers, as a passenger on positioning flights. Oh, there you go. So um, the reason I chose the story for, for this week was 
that is a whole part of aviation that we never talk about is ferrying aircraft, moving aircraft around. There is a whole group of professional contract pilots that are type, uh, uh, that have type ratings in different aircraft. And for example, my company flies a Jetstream 41. Well, there's not that many pilots left with a type rating, especially that are current in a Jetstream 41. So there's this whole other part of aviation that we've never talked about on this show, which is, which is that contract pilot life. Um, and, and it's certainly a way to get into aviation and not do the, the cargo operations or the airline thing. Um, yeah, really, really interesting. Actually, with, with you all flying at Edo, Amanda, obviously you, you, you can fly a varied amount of different aircraft. Is this the sort of job that you'd kind of be interested in, you know, if you... I would, uh, especially because it's a contract, and some of the contracts can be quite lucrative. My brother um, was, uh, we have Stephen Ivey on the show. My brother had a couple thousand hours, probably eight, 9,000 hours on the uh, Bombardier, the regional jet, the CRJ, and he ended up getting a contract to bring... Uh, five airplanes from Venezuela that were at the end of a lease back to the United States. And I, I mean, he must've made 15, $20,000 a trip on that. So, I mean, for an airplane that costs millions of dollars, um, paying, paying a a crew of two or maybe three people, um, you know, a couple $10,000 is nothing to them to get the airplane safely back to the, to the original location or where it's supposed to be. So yeah, I would totally do it. If I could make 20 grand a month and work three days, I'm on board. I think well, I'm going to reach that? out to the jet test people. I think I'm going to see if I can um, get them to come on the show. Well, you should show them a picture of the flight simulator setup you have, and they may say, <laughs> well, this guy's qualified to fly anything. Oh, actually, yeah. if one, one of you could do me a quick favor, guys, actually, in the chat room there, you, you mentioned Stephen Ivey, and he was talking about um, some of the aircraft he was seeing at, at the uh, a particular airport, which escapes me. Uh, so if you could just look at that for me in the chat room very quickly. But he just sent us uh, to the WhatsApp number, which is plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. That's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. He has very kindly sent us a, a couple of photos. So what, where, what is the airport that we're talking about here? Um, so Stephen driven pays drift past the Mojave yeah, airport there we go. where there are some Qantas 747s there and a couple of Virgin 747s as well. Um, obviously the Qantas ones being there has upset um, our listener Evan Shue uh, quite uh, a bit. Right, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Uh, it's, uh, um, yeah, there's a, it's, uh, it's a, it's sort of I don't know I suppose we I we should I want to go there yeah we, so jealous yeah so we should jealous. be used to seeing aircraft lying around at the moment I guess but uh, uh, that's not going to happen also uh, in other news uh, Jonathan Warner uh, who is preparing himself for his what he describes as his favourite part of the show uh, good news everyone he's been allowed the TV this evening so there we oh. are we are live on his big television in his lounge right now there you go. <laughs> Oh, lovely. All well done. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, Armando, when I, when I come over and see you in the US, can we go to one of the boneyards, please? Uh, I think the US is a little bit bigger than you think, but sure. I mean, we can go Always got a spoiler. You can take an 11-hour drive. I'm sure that'll be fine. <laughs> well, if you had come here in the middle of, uh, like, the peak of COVID back in April, we could have gone to any major airport and seen 130 airplanes sitting Good point, ramp. yeah. Ba- massive boneyard, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, I want to go and, like, poke and prod 
aircraft. Right. Yeah, okay. I used to I used to fly regularly into Roswell Airport in New Mexico, and that was that's kind of a an old boneyard, call it. And there were some really really cool airplanes from the '60s and the '70s. I, El- Elvis. Uh, you guys know Elvis, right? <laughs> Heard of him. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, yeah. His his original, I think it was a Saber liner, was was sitting there on the ramp at at in Roswell, New Mexico, and it's still sitting there. Um, the outside looked terrible, but apparently the inside from the guys that that maintained it uh, was still in in its original maroon uh, velour, whatever whatever he was. Um, Maybe a jet star. Captain Cruz in the chat room says a jet star. I think I think he might be right. It was, right I, yeah. I remember it was a, a, a quirky looking airplane. Good, lovely. Okay. Um, I, although I think a conversation for later on, Carlos, is uh, uh, your desire to go and poke and prod aircraft. I think that needs um, you know some kind of analysis. But anyway, uh, on to the oh, uh, the okay. final story in commercial. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, yeah, we're um, we're going to load up a special stinger for to play out after this next story. Oh. This one comes to us from oh, okay. uh, mental it, note. It, next week, get the tumbleweed <laughs> ready. In this. Uh, <laughs> Oh, buzz off, Matt. Oh. So this next story is, uh, is on the english.jagran.com. Oh, bless him. Um, it's, uh, yeah, this, this is all about uh, bees uh, attacking an aircraft. Uh, and this is, uh, well, this is great. This has got some awesome pictures. So in a bizarre incident, two Vistara flights were delayed by an hour each after a swarm of honeybees clamped themselves to, uh, to the exterior of the aircraft parked in the same bay at the Netaji Sabahash uh, Chandra Base, uh, Bose International Airport in Kolkata. Uh, so the flights were delayed an hour, as it says on here, and the incident occurred on Sunday uh, when one of the Vistara Airlines uh, airliners were ready for takeoff uh, to Delhi from Kolkata Airport. Prior to the initiation of the boarding process, the airport staff saw the bees had settled themselves on the exterior of the airplane. The airport fire crews uh, were then reportedly uh, seen spraying water jets uh, to dislodge the bees, according to a report by the Danik Jangran. Uh, the moment was widely shared on Twitter. Uh, Matt's playing the video there, which you can see on the screen. The second Vistara flight parked in the same bay was then hijacked by bees again the following day and faced an hour's delay before being cleared in a similar fashion. Uh, in a similar incident last year, an Air India flight was delayed by two and a half hours after a swarm of bees settled at the exterior of the aircraft in the same airport. Uh, the bees have been cleared by spraying water jets uh, onto the aircraft. I have to say, after seeing this video, and I'm a big lover of, of bees and honeybees, you know, I, I'm one not to swat them or kill them if I see them in the garden or in the house. I, I let them out nicely. I just think it's a bit harsh spraying them with water off the side of the aircraft. I mean, I, I would have thought it would have been a lot easier just to taxi the aircraft onto the runway, and I'm pretty sure once the aircraft had reached, I don't know, 150, 140 knots, the bees would have probably decided it was not a great idea to stay on there. And, and gone down away. the uh, starboard engine, yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What could possibly go wrong there? <laughs> that, that, could, that could be a whole new film, yeah, like a Sully film. Right. Um, okay. Instead of birds, it's bees. Swarm of bees, but family show, family right. show. Yes. But honestly, the, the pictures, oh. the pictures look amazing. The video is really good, but the pictures, there is a lot of bees on that aircraft. 
How do they get there just in one night? I, that's crazy. And what is it about that spot on the airplane? I wish we had an Airbus. Well, I, I, see, I, I seem to remember, because we were talking about this in our, our planning meeting, and I, I seem to recall the, because uh, we had Nick on the call for a little while last night, and I seem to recall he was saying basically that all it requires is if the hive are looking for a new home, essentially, and, you know, the queen bees, literally the queens, uh, decide that that's where they're going to be, they will magically appear and the workers will start building the nest. So for whatever reason, queen bee decided that the side of that aircraft was going to be their new home. <laughs> and and the rest, as they say, followed. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, Line Street, Line Street, as always, an absolute legend in the chat room, oh, no. uh, says <laughs> I'm, that I'm nervous. Uh, must be near to the loo vent. Okay. No. Okay. Uh, Jonathan Warner. Uh, Deathly silence. I don't know what to do with that information. <laughs> uh, Jonathan Warner says bees on a plane, uh, starring well, Samuel. Different, L. different to snakes, I suppose. Which would you prefer, snakes or bees? Uh, someone, <laughs> someone, someone called Neville Bounds. Never he, heard of him. he says perhaps Buzz Aldrin was on that flight. Right. Okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It is, it is, it is amazing. Honestly, Mother Nature is amazing. But um, anyway, <laughs> that is where we're gonna buzzingly bring the commercial. That wasn't even a pun. A what are you I know. Doing? <laughs> oh dear. Oh no. Uh, we're gonna have to take this whole Look, section out. Matt. And post. Matt. Yeah. <laughs> I think Matt. So. Some complicated editing is Matt, required. Yes. Be hello. nice. Be nice. Look, if or you... <laughs> or you can just forget the editing, Matt, and just add a laugh track. Yeah, listen, yeah, yeah. That, uh, we're, we're not allowed. We're not We're not. You know, that breaks the rules, though. If we put something, you know, if we claim something's funny when it's not. Oh um, no! <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold the phone, oh. Stephen H. In the chat room. Right. Maybe with that airline, you earn nectar points. Okay. Let's end it there. Okay. <laughs> moving on. That is where we're going to move. That is where we're going to move the uh, bring the commercial segment to a close, and uh, we are going to move on to the next segment. Where uh, this week uh, we're going to play uh, our latest plain truth with Captain Al and Matt. And this week, for anyone who's interested in this kind of thing, which is a bit scary, this week it's all about cabin decompression. <laughs> Welcome to Another Plain Truths, and this week we're going to be talking about cabin pressurisation. Joining me, as always, is the legend that is Captain Al. Hi, Captain Al. Hello, Matt. How are you doing? Yes, I'm good, thank you. Yes, I'm very well. Okay, I'm very familiar with the phrase uh, cabin pressurisation and also sudden depressurisation. And I suppose my first question really is... Why is the cabin pressurized in the first place? A, a lot of like the GA planes and stuff that we fly around here, for example, they just you just open a door and it and it's all fine. So, what's the main purpose behind pressurization? Uh, the main purpose behind pressurization is that if we didn't have it, we would die. Oh, well, I mean, well, okay, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so, without being quite so flippant, <laughs> um, if I was to teleport you to the top of Everest, which is what about eighteen thousand feet or something like right, that, yeah. How do you think your breathing would be affected? Well, I know, I know you're certainly at high altitudes and stuff. The air is much thinner up there, therefore it's much more difficult uh, for you to, to breathe. Okay, so the air is a lot thinner the higher we go. So 
this is very, very simple. So if there are any, you know, doctors, please don't write in. I, I don't want to go into great detail about no, this. But no. those little molecules of oxygen are much more spread out. So when we take a breath in, we're not getting the same uh, amount of right. oxygen volume. Yeah. yeah, It's not that there is less oxygen at altitude. There is the same proportion of oxygen in the air as there is at sea level. Right. But it's a lot more spread out. Right. So it's the same air. It's just that it's uh, uh, a lot less dense. Okay. That's at 18,000 feet. If we were to put ourselves at 35,000 feet and try to breathe, we will become unconscious within about three or four seconds. So we need some way of making it possible to survive at the altitudes that the aeroplane is going to operate in. So we need to pump air into that cabin at a greater volume than it can escape so that we can condense the air, if you like, make it dense so that we can breathe. So that's pressurization. We pump a load of air into the cabin and slowly let it out to regulate what the cabin altitude would be. So it would be very nice if we could keep the aircraft at sea level all the way up to 35,000 feet. But we also need the aeroplane to be light enough to fly. And we can't pressurize something that's thin aluminium to that sort of level because obviously to pump that amount of air in, we need the fuselage to be strong and the amount of pressure that we would have to apply pumping it in would just burst the aircraft. So we can't do that. Right. So most airliners pressurize the aircraft at altitude, and it varies a bit. Some of the modern ones are a little bit lower, but between six and 8,000 feet. So when you're sat at 35,000 feet, that's the altitude that the aeroplane's at. But within the cabin, because we're pumping in loads of air, it's at 8,000 feet. So basically... We pump loads of air into the cabin and that exerts a pressure of about eight pounds per square inch trying to get out. So that is why when you see people trying to open doors on aeroplanes in flight, it simply won't work because the doors all open inwards. That's a design feature. So the doors are effectively being pushed by the air pressure outwards right, and because yeah. the door frame is smaller than the door they're not going to go out so there's no way anybody could open it in now eight pounds per square inch doesn't sound a lot but it is quite a significant amount there's no way you could open a door right so that's pressurization we need it to sustain our life at that sort of altitude okay uh, one of the benefits of uh, pressurization is that we're pumping this air in we can control the temperature of it so we can therefore condition the air so we can have it at a nice comfortable temperature because at 35,000 feet, typically the outside air temperature is around about minus 56. Right, oh, that's, quite, no, that's quite chilly. chilly. Yeah, that's frostbite territory right there, I think, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I think the, the coldest I've ever been outside anywhere was in Canada and I think that was something like minus 32 or something like that. <laughs> so it's still a good good deal warmer than minus 56 minus 57 so that's obviously the pressurization of the aircraft so the function of that if you like is to make it presumably a easy much easier for us to breathe well if um, we didn't have it as we climbed up as we go through about ten thousand feet most people will start to become a bit sort of light-headed, light-headed yeah start to get things like cyanosis which is you know it's basically a lack of oxygen in the blood so your extremities will start to turn blue your lips will go blue your fingers will go blue this is the onset of hypoxia, incidentally. As we continue to climb, depending on how used to altitude you are, so people who, say, live in the Himalayas, they will last a bit longer. Um, as we sort of progress up around about 14,000 feet, it's starting to become quite serious. Um, incidentally, hypoxia is a, a strange beast. 
uh, one of the symptoms of hypoxia is euphoria. So you feel really good, so you don't actually feel unwell. Right. It's a bit of reverse programming there. So typically people who are hypoxic don't realize it. And then eventually you just become unconscious. And if you continue to climb, you will eventually die because there isn't uh, enough oxygen uh, saturation to sustain uh, life. So as jet aircraft, well, actually, when we had turboprops, they started to climb higher and higher because, as we've mentioned several times on previous episodes, aircraft, uh, the higher they go, the less fuel they burn, therefore uh, greater distance, etc., etc. So that became more so with jet aircraft. So, yeah, it became a, a necessity. It's not a luxury, it's a necessity. And now, presumably, rapid depressurization is presumably where something like the, the systems involved in pressurizing the cabin have gone wrong or failed for whatever reason. Yeah, so if we talk about pressurization failures, we'll split that into two. Okay. So there's a slow depressurization and a rapid depressurization. So let's have a look at the slow case first. So a couple of things. We control the rate of climb within the cabin because uh, obviously the aeroplane might be climbing at 5,000 feet per minute. We don't want to subject you to that because your ears cannot handle that amount of pressure change. Right. That's why you have popping ears and all the rest of it. So we will typically climb the cabin at a much lower rate, so maybe 500 feet per minute, which we can deal with. So how do we do that? Well, what we do is we still pump the same amount of air in, but we let some of it out. Right, okay. And we control it. So if you ever have a look at the, the rear section of a passenger airliner, you'll see a flap, and when it's on the ground, it's open. It's the outflow valve, and it allows uh, to flow out of the pressurized section of the aircraft. So when it's open, any air that we push in effectively comes straight out. If we were in flight and we were to close the outflow valve, which it tends to be more or less closed are we in a sealed container no because we've got windows doors and much as we try to we can't create a perfect seal yeah when vacuum the airplanes yeah. yeah well not not quite a vacuum but just you know at the end of the day anything that's got openings in it has the tendency to leak it leaks less when it's new yeah. You know, and if you've ever had a, you know, 35-year-old car, you know, the door seals aren't quite as good or the window seal's not quite as good. And that's the, the same on an aeroplane. So there is a natural amount of leakage. It tends to be less on a new aeroplane than an old aeroplane. And, and all within acceptable limits. So the aeroplane does leak, a bit like a boat. Cruise ships, yeah. you know, they're always pumping bits of water out. Yeah, it's not absolutely. a, you know, perfect. Perfectly normal, yeah. So if for any reason we have a failure of one of the pressurization computers, whatever, the aeroplane will just slowly depressurize. And when I say slowly, maybe over a period of, you know, five minutes or so, depending on how leaky it is. So this isn't a, a critical event. Now, talked about computers, uh, just very briefly on the aeroplane I know, the Airbus, modern Airbuses have two pressurization com computers. So if one becomes faulty, the other one automatically takes over. And then there's a backup. So the backup is just using electric motors to control that outflow valve. So it's the manual backup. So you still have control of the pressurization. It's just operated by the pilot rather than a computer. Right. So there's the primary, the backup, 
and if you like the, the manual mode so there's three ways of controlling the pressurization on the airplane so the only real way that you could have some sort of issue is if the actuators for the outflow valve were physically jammed so it doesn't matter which of the three systems you use to try to move that it, it, it's stuck okay yeah. just a slow depressurization is not a big deal you just make a, a normal descent and you could get down to, to levels where you'd be able to either regain control of the pressurization or just fly at a lower level that would allow you to operate the aircraft, not necessarily to destination, but maybe to make a precautionary diversion. So that that's not a big deal, if you like. Now, the kind of fast depressurization, often called an explosive decompression, is a bit more of an event. If we can take ourselves away from Hollywood, where, you know, someone <laughs> fires a gun and, right. you know, the next thing, there's massive chaos within the cabin and people are being sucked out. Yeah. As I've already said to you, the airplane naturally leaks a bit. So if yeah. someone fires a pistol and it happens to penetrate the skin of the airplane and leave, you know, a, a small hole, hole yeah. yeah, a bullet hole, that's not going to be any great deal because we can push more air into the cabin then that hole is going to let out. Now, a bit dramatic, but if someone, you know, explodes a bomb on the aeroplane, that's going to leave a bigger hole. Okay? That's going to be like the size of a door, and that's going to be a bit of an issue now because we've got a fairly large opening. physically pump that much air yeah. in, essentially. Now, as I said, we're pumping air in, so we're putting pressure on. So exactly like when a tyre or a balloon pops, when the pressure exceeds the ability to contain it, it does tend to go bang if you like yeah. because that pressure has to equalize so there will be a fair amount of commotion in the cabin because now you've got a pressure differential so things that aren't secure within the cabin are going to want to go out through that hole yeah um, and there was a case a few years ago where a terrorist did let a bomb off he was sat at the window the bomb was successfully detonated and a sort of like door-sized hole was created next to him and out he went but he was the only one so right. everyone else had their seatbelts on so yes there was a, a big hole and they were able to move people away from the hole and he was the only fatality in that right. so yes there have been occasions where large sections of aeroplane have come off in flight there was a, an aloha airline 747 where a large part of the roof came off quite clearly you're not going to be able to pressurize the aeroplane when something the size of a small family car has come off the aeroplane. But the, these are very few and far between events, these explosive depressurizations. Passenger doors on aeroplanes are bigger than the hole that they fit right. into, so they don't naturally come out. No. Windows, they don't tend to fall out on a regular basis. I can only think of two in the last 40 years, so I don't know how many million flights you'd right. have to take yeah. before that, you know. Yeah. A very the, the, low percentage, certainly, yeah. Yeah, so explosive decompressions are very rare. Where we've talked about failures of the pressurization system, if you had, you know, lost control of the pressurization system, say the outflow valve was forced fully open or whatever, and you can't pressurize it, the, the aeroplane's going to depressurize fairly quickly. So you would initiate then an emergency descent. So the first thing that would happen is the two pilots would go on to oxygen because without us, yeah, no one else was really screwed, in a good yeah. position. <laughs> so we'd go on to oxygen and then we would descend the aeroplane as quickly as we possibly can. And the idea being is that on most aircraft, the passenger oxygen masks will deploy around about 14,000 feet in the cabin, okay? Right. 
So what we're trying to do is we're trying to get the aeroplane down below 14,000 feet so that we don't have the mast deploy. It's not a cost thing, but we know that when the masts drop out of the ceiling, people will panic. Panic, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the panic will cause more injuries than the actual anything defense. else. Right, yeah. okay, yeah. So, so we try to get the aeroplane down below 14,000 feet. If we can do that, yet yeah, the aeroplane is now unpressurized, but passengers are sat down, so they're not undertaking huge physical activity. So they're, they're going to be okay. They're not going to suffer too much. And then it depends on how high the, the ground is around you. If you can, you continue to just descend down and, and decide what you're going to do. But the key thing is that significant depressurization events are not common and if you do find yourself in one where the masks come down, please do what it tells you to do in the safety information film or demonstration. Put your own on first before helping others, because if you're faffing around trying to put someone else's on, you become unconscious, you're no use to them. So if you're yeah. a parent, put yours on first. If yeah, little yeah. Bobby collapses, it's only lack of oxygen, you can put yours on, then put his on, and he'll be back with you super fast. In, in but seconds, yeah. Yeah, um, so put yours on. It needs to go over your mouth and nose, <laughs> just like masks that we have to wear these oh, days. Oh, it don't open no, that can of worms. Oh, no. <laughs> it is no use to you over just your mouth. No, no, indeed. Please pull down sharply. So, you um, don't have to rip the thing out of the socket, <laughs> but it's the pulling down of the mask that activates the oxygen generator. If you right. do not pull down sharply on it, you will have a plastic mask and a bit of tube, but nothing is coming out of it. The little yeah. bag that is attached will not fill up. It is not a balloon. It is just there to regulate. If you can breathe, everything is fine. Do not worry <laughs> about the little bag. So, I mean, we've touched sort of briefly on, on the mask there. I mean, are there other scenarios in which the mask would be deployed? They're tucked up in uh, above your head, and those little doors that open are just held by magnetic latches. So when the cabin altitude reaches 14,000 feet, those latches are just released. So right. gravity then causes the mask to come it's down. To fall down, okay. Hence why occasionally a mask will just drop just down drop. in isolation, yeah. because just the, the, the magnetic latches it's just as come undone. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. And obviously, cabin depressurization is that the only scenario in which the mask can be de deployed, or or can they be used uh, in in other scenarios like, say, fire or anything like that? Okay, so bad idea to plunge a load of oxygen into a cabin okay. that has yeah. a fire. As, because... as I started to say that, I thought, oh, I'm going to get picked up for that, aren't I? Yes, yes, good point. Yeah, oh, yeah. High, high levels of oxygen and a fire, perhaps not the healthiest of mixes. <laughs> yeah, probably akin to using petrol to put out a fire. <laughs> okay, lesson learned. It's a perfectly reasonable question, and no... We do have the ability to deploy them manually, primarily because if we have reached a cabin altitude of 14,000 feet or greater, part of our checklist is to make sure that the masks have deployed. Right. So in other words, it's a human backup system a, yeah, to make sure that the masks are correct. Generally, we wouldn't deploy the masks in the cabin for, for other scenarios because once you pull down on the mask, it's a chemical generator that produces oxygen 
and there's no way of turning it off. Right. So it's not like an on-demand system. Okay. Um, it just pumps oxygen out. So not, not ideal to suddenly have a, a sudden increase in oxygen in the cabin unless you know why you're doing that. Okay. Captain Al, as always, it's a real pleasure. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, there we go. Another cracking segment there, as always, from... Uh, from Al, it's such, such good fun. Such good fun. Enjoy, enjoy recording those. I, I think Matt, I will say pressure. I'll add on to this that the rapid decompressions for me. I had a in my 21 years in the Air Force, I had a few classes uh, or courses that stood out, and one of the things that I've used most as a professional pilot was that uh, altitude chamber. Right. So in that altitude chamber, they talk about rapid decompressions. They talk about slow decompressions. And most importantly, your individual signs of hypoxia, because everyone has just little different indicators. Uh, for for me, particularly, it was tingly fing fingers, and then a feeling of uh, uh, like like you're getting hot, you know, type type thing. And uh, it was one of these things where I was actually able to recognize those hypoxic symptoms when I was flying out west in the Rockies in a unpressurized. Uh, Cessna and uh, it was it was just one of those classes that that I, I took so much away from that in my future you know post-military career where, where now I unfortunately it is not mandatory for pilots to go through an altitude chamber um, but I, I wish everybody could but it was a good topic. Hello. I mean, what 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 does that bring to the to the party then? As far as, is it just a, a way of you learning what what it does to your body essentially, or or, or is it yeah. just a, a way of learning to cope with it so that you've experienced, so you know what to expect? Or exactly. So unlike so there, you know, in the chat room we were talking about some uh, high visibility incidents of rapid decompressions where parts of airplanes came uh, apart, you know, or the top of the Aloha Airlines seven thirty seven or uncontained engine failures like Southwest. Um, 1390, 1380. And uh, while those do happen, most common is actually a uh, barely detectable slow decompression um, where some airplanes have automated systems where we'll t that will tell you that, some don't. And uh, it is important to be able to recognize, hey, something's just not right in my body to at least make you look over at the pressurization. Oh, gauge. I see. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm because right it's saying as, as, as well that uh, with those slower depressurizations, um, hypoxia can give you a feeling of euphoria, actually. Yeah. Um, so actually, you're feeling pretty good about yourself, but in fact, um, your brain the end is nigh, up. essentially. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely. It. Yeah, interesting. Well, as I say, again, uh, as always, a, a really interesting topic. Um, and uh, yes, uh, th thanks for the, the feedback there, actually, Armando. It's a, yeah, I, I, I'm surprised it isn't something that, that even the, 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 you know, the, the commercial guys uh, have to do as well, as you say, because it would, if nothing else, would help you recognize the, uh, recognize the, the signs. Yeah, altitude chambers are expensive. It's a big old machine. It's, you know, a hyperbaric chamber type thing. Mm -hmm. And um, there with technology now we have uh, reduced oxygen breathing devices. So you've, you've uh, maybe seen some professional athletes uh, put on a device while ah, they're yeah. running or something like that mm -hmm. reduces their oxygen intake. That has uh, come into uh, portions of aviation where they can train um, hypoxic symptoms and they'll have you read a checklist or fly a simulator with an, an ROBD. Uh, but but it's still it's just not widespread in the aviation community. It really really mm -hmm. should be. 
Okay, well, it's time to move on to uh, what many are classing as the highlight of the show. And uh, for that, we hand it over to Armando. So uh, take it away. Yeah, Matt, I've uh, sent out the push notifications per PTUK Gray. So if you're ready, (laughs) our fans are here. Let's hit the button. We're going to jump right into this one. And a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about this uh, AN124 uh, that had an uncontained engine failure and slid off the runway. So if Matt, you'll play that video. Um, this <laughs> really interesting. You got to love Russian ingenuity. They found a couple of uh, tank movers. These, these two military vehicles are designed to pull tanks out of ravines or broken down tanks or damaged tanks. They hooked two of them up together somehow linked it to the airplane and they are pulling it back onto the airfield so i don't actually know i'm sure our chat room can answer it and you can get on the uh, search engine real quick i don't know how much an an124 weighs but this one was pretty well stuck in the in the northern mud of siberia or something like that and uh, they were able to pull it out with just these two little tank tank movers um, so i'm sure they'll tow it to somewhere on the airfield i, I I believe the latest update says that it was it was pretty much a write-off. So wherever it is, it'll either become a museum piece or just uh, get uh, part the of that. Landing gear looks out. still intact, doesn't it, for the, for the most part? From yeah, the... it seems to be rolling pretty good. Yeah, wow. 405,000 kilograms, Armando. Yeah, how, what, what is that in feet or in Fahrenheit? <laughs> 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 now you're asking. Now you're asking. <laughs> it's a bunch. Yeah, yeah. it's a big number. That's all we need to know. It's a very big number. It is a big number. (laughs) But hey, good job to them. Uh, You got to love sometimes when you don't have paperwork to to stay (laughs) to stand in your way, you're able to accomplish so many. Here we go. Uh, In US tons, 446. Yeah, no big deal. Yeah, no big deal. Easy. Great video. though. Great video. Yeah. So anyways, we'll, we'll move on to, to this, uh, this first story. This comes to us from The Aviationist and the U.S. Air Force uh, just recently published an initial findings of the of, of a F-16 crash that happened at Shaw Air Force Base in South Carolina. Um, the tail number was uh, 940043. It was assigned to the 77th Fighter Squadron, 20th Fighter Wing, crashed on June 30th, 2020. We did cover it on the show. Um, when it did happen but unfortunately uh, first lieutenant david schmitz 32 years old from santa barbara california uh, lost his life and and they've uh, just l- recently re- revealed their uh, their investigation so um to to actually quote quote the report it says during the final phase of landing on runway 22 right the mishap aircraft stuck the lo- uh, struck the localizer antenna array short of the runway threshold severely damaging the left main landing gear after briefly touching down in the underrun uh, the mishap pilot executed a go-around and alerted uh, the air traffic control personnel of the situation. Following more than 20 minutes of discussion between the supervisor of flying, uh, the control tower, the, mis- the mishap pilot, it was deci- decided to attempt an approach and cable arrestment on runway four left. Uh, during the maneuver, the mishap aircraft's tail hook did not catch the cable and the left wing fell to the runway, dragging the aircraft to the left of the runway 
the uh, mishap pilot ejected from the aircraft, but the ejection seat malfunctioned and uh, the parachute did not deploy. So this mishap pilot was uh, fatally injured and the mishap aircraft was destroyed. So that's a quote from the report. According to the formal accident report, uh, Major General Randall Efferson, uh, who was the president of the Accident Investigation Board, uh, he wrote that. Uh, he, he finds by a preponderance of evidence that the cause of the mishap was the mishap pilot's failure to correctly interpret the automated landing system and identify the runway threshold during his first landing attempt, which resulted in the severely damaged landing gear. Evidence also indicates that the mishap pilot was not fully engaged on the challenges of flying a night instrument approach due to his unsuccessful attempt to conduct his first ever air-to-air air -air refueling at night, which is not allowed by Air Force regulations. Uh, two factors substantially contributed to the mishap. The supervisor of flying chose not to consult the aircraft manufacturer, uh, which resulted in a decision to attempt a cable arrestment in lieu of a controlled ejection. And second, a series of ejection seat malfunctions occurred, which resulted in the mishap pilot impacting the ground while still strapped to the ejection seat. Um, obviously, the report on this is, is, is much longer, but uh, some key points to pull out of this um, will kind of work backwards. At the end of the day, the, the, the cause of this, this pilot's death was, was the ejection seat mal malfunction. Um, these ejection seats are designed to, uh, to uh, deploy and work at, at zero airspeed on the ground, zero altitude. Um, there was a series of malfunctions attributed to some of the parts that were supposed to be replaced in the ejection seat, those parts being deferred off another year for replacement. Um, unknown if that, that was, a, you know, the final cause, but um, it's just incredibly unfortunate. And I, can't, and I just can't comprehend um, what must have been going through, through his mind as he's strapped to the seat um, that is supposed to be working and saving his life. Um, kind of working backwards from there, um, something that I that I I didn't know is that the supervisor of flying, which is kind of an on-duty officer, uh, usually in the tower and the operations center, they have a hotline to the aircraft manufacturer. So, uh, in this case, the F-16 Lockheed Martin has a dedicated line that any any base, any tower can call and consult them for for technical matters or. In, in the uh, case of an in-flight in emergency like this, um, when Lockheed was consulted after this mishap, it was uh, it was deemed that had they called the engineers at Lockheed, they would not have recommended a, a cable arrestment, um, and they would they would have recommended a, a controlled ejection. Um, now, would the would the ejection seat have malfunctioned in the air? Uh, that's an unknown, but but at the end of the day, the the, the manufacturer would have recommended something else. Um, and then and then continuing to work backwards, there was a lot of things going wrong. We'll never know what what was going on in, in his head, but um, but there there as a single seat fighter, um, going up and attempting a night air to air refueling uh, by himself for the first time, uh, and not being able to plug may have induced some stress in this pilot leading to a, a bit of a, a judgment error chain um, uh, leading to the, to these mishaps and and uh, and ultimately it was it, you know the approach the approach was flown 
uh, outside of its parameters and 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 you know the the gear hit the, that those antennas at the end of the runway had had the the aircraft just you know flown uh, an approach normally none of this would have happened um, like the guys in the in the chat room are talking about it's the Swiss, Swiss cheese model there there's never a single cause to a mishap um, it's always an error chain and, and, and things lining up um, that can be traced all the way back. There was uh, additional, I mean, the report is, is very long, but um, there was a additional considerations, of course, because of COVID um, and reduced flying hours, reduced training hours. So pilots weren't getting as much training and as much flight time. Um, so uh, it's just a very unfortunate incident. And, and to me, the, the most sort of heart-wrenching part is, is the way that this, the ejection seat malfunctioned and it's just a just a, a terrible accident very sad story indeed mm. yes our thoughts go out to the family mm. obviously yeah and it and the family the family of the pilot but um as you guys know military units are, are very very close so uh in addition to that the the unit the 77th as well as everybody at, at shaw air force base that had to uh respond to that mishap but um yeah let's go on so moving on to the next story, and uh, this one is on aviationtoday.com, and uh, this is regarding some guys not too far from me and you, Matt, and who we see in the air frequently in our area here in Bungie, in Suffolk. <laughs> this is uh, British Army modernizers with first Apache AH-64E helicopter deliveries. So the British Army received its first two Boeing Apache AH-64E helicopters from the U.S. government on November the 26th. The delivery is the result of a $2.3 billion deal that was first announced by the United Kingdom's Ministry of Defense in July 2016 and includes a total of 50 Apache attack helicopters, uh, which will be replacing their Apache AH Mark I fleet retiring in 2024. The Apache attack helicopters were delivered to Watersham Flying Station and will be maintained and serviced by the 7 Aviation Support Battalion at Royal Electrical and Mechanical Engineers, which is 7th uh, uh, Squad, was that 7th? Aviation Support Battalion. Support Battalion, yeah. According to a press release published by the British Army. Brigadier Steve Hussey, Head of Capability Air Manoeuvre, said in a press statement, while there is still some way to go before the Army's modernised attack helicopter's capability reaches full operational status, the arrival of the first Apache E-model to the UK is a major programme milestone that has been achieved despite the impact of COVID-19. The arrival of the Apache Model E at, um, attack helicopter to be delivered to the British Army over the next two years marks the beginning of a significant uplift in capability to enhance the Army's contribution across the spectrum of military operations, said Major General Jez Bennett, Director of Capability, said in a press statement. So he said supporting hostage rescue missions to countering uh, adversaries, anti-access, aerial denial platforms, the Apache E outstrips the outgoing Mark I aircraft by increased platform digitization, improved weapons and avionics, and the ability to use the latest and future technology to enable and uh, teaming with semi-autonomous systems such as UASs. Now, Watersham, which is not too far from me, Matt, um, I didn't realize Watersham, I don't know if you knew, Armando, but Watersham is the 
uh, biggest centralised operational army airfield in the UK, um, which is home to the 3rd Regiment Army Air Corps and the 4th Regiment Army Air Corps. Um, but uh, those guys probably fly pr pretty much six days, five or six days a week uh, in our area here. And they actually use the airfield uh, at uh, Beckles or Ella, where you've uh, been oh, to. Oh, yes, no, I've, I've seen them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they use that as part of their training ground, um, as well as the valley where me and Matt live in here. <laughs> I was actually doing a school run, believe it or not, where I came along the Ella Road going out towards Frosendon, which is one of the villages that are out there. So I come from the local high school, which was John Lehman. Um, um moved on and we got to as i say we it literally um popped up above the hedge line and literally the the kids on the coach behind me screamed because it did mm. look like it was in full it because it literally popped up above the hedge line with all its like fake guns and everything all pointing at you ready to sort of like it was just like oh they're not fake oh, yeah. they're not fake no. <laughs> no well we'll we'll say they're fake for the purposes of the teenagers that were then literally screaming their heads off uh, and it was just as I say, it was just the element of surprise because it literally appeared from nowhere it wasn't there and then suddenly above this hedgerow there it was like literally <laughs> aiming at us it was quite a quite the sight uh, i wish hey. I, I wish i had because i've got dash, dash cam now uh in the in the coach and i wish <laughs> i had it then because it would have been the most seriously it would have been the coolest footage as it popped up above the on the bend i mean it was just amazing well you know that reaction that you had or that they had is exactly the reaction that we're hoping to elicit from the enemy ah, when right, we pop yes. up from a hedgerow in combat and they go <laughs> yeah I was going to say that that uh, that chain gun that that's on the on the nose of the Apache, I I would not want to um, be in receive, firing line of that. No, the, absolutely, uh, yeah, yeah, from oh. that. But um, yeah, yeah. They, it's a great. Actually, I'm just going to say I've done quite a few cross country flights over Watersham Air Base in a in a 150 on my own and with uh, Stuart as well. And uh, I'll tell you what, those guys. Uh, considering you have to ask for permission, as Armando would know, have to ask permission to fly over their airspace at Watersham. They're some of the nicest people to speak to on on the. Are radio. they really? Oh, yeah, they really are. Yeah. yeah. Nice well, what a, what a mean-looking helicopter that Apache is. Huh? It's yeah. always just been such a yeah. crazy... Uh, and from, me, the... um, from mean-looking helicopters, we move on to what I can only describe as Micah's favourite aircraft in the whole <gasps> wide world. It is, isn't it? Yes, you're dead right there. Well, this is on the uh, warbirdsnews.com uh, website, uh, and it's a bad, uh, unfortunate news story, but then it turns into a good news story. So we, we like those sorts of uh, bits of journalism. Uh, well, during an excursion back uh, in October to Loch Ness in Scotland for filming work, uh, the Catalina Society's PBY suffered technical issues whilst on the water, preventing its departure. You might have seen some picture of that on the television, actually, at the time. Uh, it was determined that the aircraft needs an engine change in this challenging location. So the, uh, the Catalina Society sports the Canzoe Catalina Miss Pickup, which is Golf uh, Papa Bravo Yankee Alpha, and is essentially her fan club. Well, in less, less than a month, the volunteers of the Catalina Society disassembled the compromised engine, shipped a new one to Urquhart Bay Key, installed it, tested it, and flew her out of the lake. 
it's amazing what a dedicated uh, group of volunteers can do. Uh, so on December the 1st, uh, the aircraft went back onto the waters of Loch Ness early in the morning and successfully flew out to Inverness Airport where she had been inspected. After being refuelled, the PBI was flown south, initially with a night stop in the Midlands at the uh, Catalina Society's base in du as the Catalina Society's base in Duxford was temporarily closed due to COVID-19 restrictions. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, because uh, Duxford was closed, um, they they wouldn't be able to open specifically uh, for Miss Pickup on the Wednesday. But if it had stayed in Inverness for the night, that would increase the risk of getting them stuck waiting for a weather window large enough to fly the near 500 miles back from Scotland to Cambridge. The decision was made to fly as far south as possible on Tuesday afternoon in order to minimise that weather risk. Uh, with limited daylight hours, a location in the Midlands was chosen just 100 miles from the Imperial War Museum at Duxford. Uh, the flight south went perfectly, taking in the stunning views of the Scottish Highlands, the Lake District and Peak District en route in the watery winter sunlight. Uh, Miss Pickup touched down some two and a half hours after departing Inverness uh, for her night stop just before sunset. Well, a tremendous effort by the crew and supporting organisations up at Loch Ness and uh, Inverness. And of course, a huge contribution came from all those generous individuals who contributed to the GoFundMe appeal. Uh, the donations have been a tremendous help towards the huge cost of getting the Catalina airborne again. As this is being uh, written, uh, the update, uh, the, the aircraft itself should either be in the air or have already landed at Duxford. I guess it's probably over there by now. Uh, the Catalina Society is the support club for the PBY uh, Catalina. The uh, mission is to keep this beautiful old bird f uh, flying boat airworthy for many years to come and by forming the society they have brought together people who share this mission and you can join the society and learn how to get involved by visiting the Catalina Society website. Just Google that and you can find it. And um, that uh, very aircraft, believe it or not, uh, is something that we saw. Uh, was it Farnborough? I think we saw it. Yes, it was. It yeah, was Farnborough. And uh, here we go. Uh, this is the joys of this, the joys of being live and being sent into the plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six WhatsApp number. There we are. There's a picture of all of us that's just been sent in by Micah. You can see Micah, myself, Carlos, Captain Al, Pip, uh, Brian Coleman, and uh, the gentleman whose name escapes me but uh, was the, the guy who was in charge on the day, basically, uh, in front of that very aircraft when we were, were there. See, this show's amazing sometimes, isn't it? Amazing. And also, Armando, I mean, how about this? You know, trying to uh, replace an engine in the middle of Loch Ness. I mean, well, That's so clever, isn't it? Taken, uh, a heck of a, a heck of a job to do that, mustn't it? And also to be sure uh, that it, you, it could be tested properly in order to uh, depart the aircraft. That's it. And many of these people are, are volunteers too. this, uh, the Catalina Society and and like so many of these warbirds and these uh, antique aircraft are completely uh, funded and maintained by by benevolent organizations here, you know, in the US, the commemorative Air Force being the biggest one, the Collins Foundation. Um, these are all volunteers. They're very experienced crew chiefs. But but like you're saying, Nev, somebody had to go up to, to Loch Ness for a couple of weeks and, and do a, an engine change or you know just very very cool and and like the chat room is talking about just incredibly heartwarming that uh 
that the the fans and and the supporters um, were able to make that happen for yeah. such a beautiful airport. An, an incredible story, as you say, sort of starts tinged with sadness at the start because, you know, it ended up being stranded there. But as you say, an amazing mission to to get it back in the air. So. Uh, well done. Right. Uh, uh, we are rapidly running out of time, I'm afraid, boys and girls. So it is time to start wrapping up. But uh, Carlos, you've got a couple of things you just want to run past a few people first. Yeah. As we said at the beginning of the show, uh, for those of you who may not or may may have heard us in the past, we do a big, spectacular Christmas show. And the show we do at Christmas time, which we put out on Christmas Day, is recorded actually recorded live but it doesn't go out live on a certain day but it goes out pre-recorded on christmas day but this year for the first time ever we are going to have a audience uh, watching a us zoom record audience, the, yeah, as is rage all these days uh <laughs> watching us record the christmas show because honestly if well no one's ever seen us record the uh yeah. the christmas special before but trust me if you've ever been party to seeing us record the christmas special it is an experience and uh, if nothing else uh, if nothing else if you're easily offended uh, then <laughs> then don't no. apply is the but for this year <laughs> exactly yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but for this year we're going to do something special because for all our patreon and paypal donators to the show um you have all received or should have received if you check your inboxes or even your spam mail it shouldn't be in there oh, uh, we've emailed all our patreon and paypal donators and new patreon and paypal donators as well if you uh donate to the show to join us for the recording of our christmas show we have got a huge amount of guests hosts joining us on the show from pretty much every major aviation podcast in the world uh, plus we've also got the return of one of our special guests from a while back ariel tweeto from the uh, flying wild alaska series she's going to be joining us on the coast team as well on that recording so that's uh, going to be um it's going to be an epic show mm, i think guys indeed, absolutely, year, definitely yeah. we've got quizzes and all sorts of things planned absolutely, so uh, yeah. it's going to be a busy week going to be a busy and week. also on the note of the christmas show if you're watching or listening to us now on the show or listening to the audio show and you want to send us a christmas message uh, we would love to hear Christmas messages for the show, uh, and if you want to send those in, you can you send you can actually send the audio to our WhatsApp number, uh, or you can send the audio messages into our email address podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. and uh, yeah, MP3, send them from your phone, or if you record them on your PCs, laptops, tablets, or however yeah. you record. Any your, format is accepted. Yeah. Any format's fine, uh, as long as it's not on paper. Because we can't obviously play that. Well, out. we could read it out, I suppose. <laughs> we can read it. <laughs> Go old school. But yeah. we would love, we would love to hear your Christmas special, Christmas yeah. uh, message to the show. So please do send uh, send that in. Indeed. Okay, we're going to do a quick wrap up, uh, boys and girls. What are we all up to this week, Carlos? What are you up to? I'm off this week. I'm having a week off. I have a oh. week off, oh, and I I will be mostly here all week. What, uh, what, by with, the fireplace, yeah. Right, but well, by the fireplace. Yeah. I shall be in in here with my sim set up, flying oh, around right. the world. Okay, yeah. lovely. That'll be my week. Indeed. And Matt, what are you doing this week? Um, well, no, no, not a lot really. Not a lot really. Same sort of stuff. Actually, I just wanted to mention very quickly a, a great little. Uh, I'm going to try and pop it up on the screen. Actually, um, uh, one of the people who, I think he's still in the chat room, DJ Will. 
Wilf. Um, so it's DJ space W I L L F. Uh, and you got uh, a couple of videos there that he sent me, which are really worth a watch, actually. So if you haven't done so already, take your search search YouTube for DJ Wilf W I L L F. Uh, and as I say, there's some great uh, videos there. One of which which he's which he's done himself, uh, basically visiting airports of the Antonov Airlines A A N one two four coming in at um, Stansted, basically absolutely absolute yeah. beast. So uh, yeah, a couple of lovely videos on there. So actually, I should probably sit down at there. Really, look at that. Look at what a, what a beast. What a beast that is. That is that that aircraft still amazes me. It's a bit like the what 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 is the what the is it the 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 Dreamlifters or whatever it is that they call mm. them. You know these absolutely ridiculously massive aircraft. So uh, yes, I should probably be taking a look at uh, some of the videos he's got on actually, there. Actually, before be we move on to the next host, Matt yeah. Captain Cruz was asking how your birthday was. Oh, it was very good, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what did I do? Not really a lot because of uh, lockdown, obviously. Um, what did I do? Oh, uh, myself, Nev, and uh, my friend Owen, we watched the uh, Grand Prix for a little while, didn't we? That was quite nice on the Sunday. We enjoyed that. Um, and then I had a, a very special birthday tea that was hand-delivered by Carlos and Gemma uh, from my favourite restaurant, uh, which obviously is Three Cooks here in town. Uh, and that, I haven't had one of those since lockdown, you know, like the first one. So that was a real super special treat. So it was a very simple How, how, birthday, are, the, how are the prawn crackers, Matt? Uh, the prawn crackers were exemplary, as always. Uh, anyway, uh, enough about that. Uh, Nev, Nev, <laughs> Nev, uh, what vineyards are you visiting this week? Oh. Well, I don't think I'm I'm doing any of that, but uh, the banana has been fixed. So, <laughs> oh, winning! Uh, hey, <laughs> I'm not where to go, uh, which is a bit unfortunate. So never mind. But uh, yes, super job from the uh, body shop there. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, I've got my new passport this week. Oh, uh, a nice British one. Uh, which nice blue one. To come from from start to finish, which was great. Again, I've got nowhere to go. Um, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, no, a little bit of customer visiting next week, hopefully, uh, socially distance, of course. And then, of course, the next person that we ask, you know, so we have our very mundane, usual sort of, you know, what we've been up to this week <laughs> type stuff. And then we say, Armando, what are you doing this week? And we all sigh with depression and sadness. Yeah. It's amazing life. Uh, fires into life, as always. So what are you up to this week then, Armando? Uh well, th this week is a pretty cool week, uh, Matt. I said of course, it is. every there. week in the world of Armando is a cool week. <laughs> yeah, last week was skydiving with Steph. Uh, so this week, we, our, my company has received a, a bit of a loner airplane. We've got a loner DC three uh, that we're. Oh, gonna, is that the that pictures gonna... that you sent me here? I did, yeah. And uh, so that's the airplane that we're going to be flying this week, and and I'll get a. Um, well, it's a bit like feeding carp at the zoo. So all the all the pilots are clamoring to to <laughs> to take a number and, and and we have about a week of flying that airplane either here or down in florida something like that but uh uh yeah you know today i, I took uh, maddie my daughter out to the airport and she got to run around um got got to sit up in the cockpit and yeah from that picture you'll see that the dc3 while it's a great big airplane is not very big up front no uh, it's quite cozy. I mean, you'd, you'd struggle to socially distance in that cockpit, certainly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's in store for the week is uh, just trying to put up, put some hours on that airplane. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, you see, do you, do you see why I said that now, gentlemen? You know, it's just like you know, we have a oh, Carlos, oh, I did a bit of driving this week. Oh, Matt, oh, I did a bit of driving this too. Nev, oh yes, I went down another motorway in my banana. Yes. Uh, and what did Armando do? He got in a very cool aircraft with his gorgeous daughter and and just had fun, basically. Your job is so yep. cool, mate. So cool. At least I get to have a beard. 
<laughs> that's true. That is true. Uh, on the positive note, right? I think that's. I think that's everything. Think all in order. Carlos. Social media links. Yeah, just yes. the social media links to do. Oh, um, I Armando, I, apolog- I apologise in the past, ladies and gentlemen. As I switched to Carlos's camera. Uh, he's found the Zoom buttons as well. I'll tell you what, I'm going I'm, I'm to take it off you and I'm going to do the show. <laughs> so its website is www.plaintalk. I'm ignoring you all. Uh, .com, uh The uh, WhatsApp number, plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. That's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. Podcast at plaintalkinguk.com is the email address. That's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. We would love to receive uh, any questions Christmas messages uh, that we can include in our upcoming Christmas show. Uh, and if you'd like to follow us on social media, where you can find out all things to do with YouTube and uh, to do with our photos and what we're all getting up to, uh, search social media for Plain Talking UK, all as one word. So that is where we're going to bring episode 347 <laughs> to a close. Um, Thanks. Uh, can I make a re- recommendation, ladies and gentlemen? Don't watch the Arr. video version of this show this week. Uh, just, just stick with the audio. Just stick with the audio. It'll be fine. <laughs> says he wants to see my goatee beard. So oh. perhaps he could, uh, <clears throat> you know, do the honours for him. <laughs> So that is where we bring episode 347 to a close. Thanks to everyone in the chat room. As always, you have been absolutely legendary today. And also a big thanks to all our audio listeners of the show as well. Thanks for downloading the show from all the various platforms. And if you do get a spare minute in your day, we would love a review on iTunes or wherever you download the show each week from. So from me, Carlos, here in my home studio, from Matt in the PTUK Master Suite studio, from Nev in the Nev Tech studios, and from Armando in his glorious studios over in the Americas. Take care, everyone. <laughs> Have a great weekend, and see you next Friday. Good night, everybody. As always, great to uh, see all the chat room having fun. Good uh, Christmas Eve, Carlos. I must say, thank you. Yeah, thank you look just like Minnie Mouse there. It, it is roasting in here with that fire. Well, I can going. imagine. I'll yes, tell absolutely. You. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna have to uh, wrap up yeah. very soon, guys and girls, because uh, Matt has got to scoot off because Matt uh, mm-hmm. is involved in yes. a very special recording with John. Uh, for a segment uh, or a series that's yeah, coming up. A series. Soon so uh, myself and uh, myself and the studio have now got to hop onto a different Zoom call to record um, 
as you say, hopefully a really interesting series uh, where the legend that is Captain Nick is very kindly asking the questions for us. Obviously, as I'm sure you've seen um, with John Hutchinson and... Um, um, oh... So, uh, John's. Uh, yes, Sir Richard Johns. That's it. Sir Richard I, I, Johns. I'm yeah. sorry that day. I could I could picture the book the the front of the book cover in his the the uniform and all that kind of thing. I could picture all that and the name wouldn't come there come for a minute. But uh, yes, so uh, uh, yeah, so we've got to kill things. I'm afraid here. So um, yeah. I think uh, Nev. I think you should have the final word. Well done, Nev. Go on. Yes, well, I'm very pleased that Zoom have uh, got this new uh, <laughs> filter function for the. Uh, <laughs> For the guests, looks. I think that 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 goatee beard suits me. Honestly. It does actually. I think you should grow one, Nev. Thank you. Yes. Well, thanks very much indeed for everybody for listening and watching tonight. Really appreciate it, and uh, hope you have a good week and a weekend. Bye for now. Bye bye, everyone. Bye everybody. Bye bye. <laughs>